Amen. All right, so we are in Galatians chapter 6, and uh, we just got a, we got just a little ways left. We're almost there. <laughs> yeah, we're almost there. Last week, last week we covered, uh, uh, I would consider, um, a pretty important doctrine here in Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> And uh, it's the, the, the law of harvest. It's the universal law that we talked about last week, the, the law of sowing and reaping. And we gave you several, several points on that. I say last week, I guess it was probably two weeks ago. Um, but uh, simple um, five, five different uh, parts to the law of harvest, which is uh, uh, you reap what you sow in the sense of if you sow... Um, you know, if you sow something bad, you reap something bad. If you sow something good, you reap something good. You reap more than you sow. Uh, you reap according to how you sow. And then you reap what someone else sows. That's, that's uh, applicable. And then the biggest uh, thing to remember is that you will reap. And uh, that's just uh, a real simple way of uh, navigating this this universal doctrine again, we made the distinction that this is not um, this is not uh, exclusive to just Christians, but rather it's also uh, for the lost world as well. It's a it's a universal law that that covers mankind as a whole. And so I'll pick it up here in verse number nine. There's a couple of things that more practical will will uh, uh, go over before we get through to the rest of the chapter tonight. But in verse number 9 it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And in verse 9 he says, Be not weary in well-doing. And don't you know it? it's just like the devil to make well-doing more tedious than wrong-doing. You ever notice that? It's a whole lot easier to do wrong than it is to do right. Anybody Has that been anybody's experience in your life so far? Isn't it funny how it is that way? It's like, you ever think about before you got saved sometimes? I mean, I try not to, you know, dwell on that kind of thing. But I, re I remember distinctly there were certain things in my life that just didn't bother me. There were certain things that didn't bug me. And uh, after you got saved, all of a sudden it was like, oh, no, there's, there's something different going on now. Now it's like I want to try to do right and it's hard to do. Coming, doing wrong just came easy. You know, sometimes being faithful uh, is is taken is is taken for granted to do to do the same thing for a long period of time, and you may falter and fail in your personal walk with just simply being faithful to church. Guess what? That's not easy to do. Just being faithful to come in when the doors are open. That's not easy to do. I mean, you see some folks that have been in church for you know years and years and years, and they don't miss a service, and they do everything they can, that's, that's a testimony in and of itself. Now, I've, I've seen people that have been in church for long periods of time, and, and, uh, and you know, they'll, they'll have the same testimony. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I've been backslidden, and I've done this, and I've done this. Yeah, but you've been here. Um, so there's, there's, there's victory in just, just doing right. There's victory in, in uh, just not getting weary in well-doing. Right? Because he says, in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Now, this thing on due season, it's important to remember that due season is the Lord's season. Right? 
the, the, Lord, the Lord is the one that dictates the seasons. And so in due season, you say, when is that? Whenever the Lord wants it to be. What is our job? Our job is to not fixate on when the due season is. Our job is to be instant in season and out of season. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul charging a young Timothy says this, he says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his, at his appearing in his kingdom. Again, at his appearing. We shall reap in due season. Well, when, like I say, when is that? Well, that's in the Lord's hands. He says, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Uh, for the time will come when men will, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will uh, excuse me, but will after their own lust um, shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. And don't you? You live in that time right now. You live in that time right now where people they surround themselves with folks that tell them what they want to hear. You live in a day and age where people's news feed is, is just filled with people regurgitating stuff that they already know and things that they agree with. Uh, people, they have the ability now with uh, the way they say that uh, media has changed and now, and now you have podcasts and you have independent media sources and they're all, and they're saying this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to media. Okay, well, the news media has always been bad, but now you have more control over what you hear. And so what is that? You just read what that is. Again, as I told the teens on Sunday, we we're going through some things in Romans. Uh, this book is, 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 is further out in the future than, than the time in which you live in right now. This thing is up to date and, and, and then some. He says that there's going to come a time where you're going to have a news feed. You're going to have a suggested playlist that's filled with people that are, that, uh, that are voices that you like to hear. And people will listen to them for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And you know what they don't want to hear? Reprovement, rebuke, exhortation with all long suffering. They want to heap to themselves teachers. Teach me something. And that's a dangerous thing. Now, I, I, I like teaching the Bible. I think t I, I like, there's a time for teaching, right? <clears throat> but God didn't choose teaching. God chose preaching. And so there is, a, there is a disdain. There is not an appetite for preaching in the world in which you live in today. Um, what you have in the new churches are not preachers. Harold Seitler said this, he says, there's gonna, he told this to Jim Lentz one time, and, he, and Jim Lentz has said it in the sermon. He said that there, Harold Seitler was talking to him, and he said, he says, there's coming a day when they, will, they were going to replace old-timey preaching with an evangelistical approach on teaching. And so all your churches now are teaching seminars and how to have a better family and how to be a better you and and how to cope with stress, and how to fight your addictions, and how to do this, and everything about their preaching is how-to. Every bit of it. And it's, and it's basically a word study, it's a topographical message 
talking about a certain topic in the Bible and it's, and it's all heady. And it's all geared towards you. It's not old-timey preaching. What's old-timey preaching? It's taking a passage of Scripture and expositorily taking the practical things out of it while mixing the doctrinal things and then finding the deeper meaning behind the passage and preaching it with unction and conviction and power from the Holy Ghost. That's preaching. We don't have many preachers left. And so, and so it's really, really important that... Um, that there's, a, there's an appetite for preaching because uh, we're told to be instant in season and out of season. That's why he says it's not just for preachers, it's for you too. You're supposed to, you're supposed to be able to give a, an answer of the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. When? At the drop of a hat. To who, the Bible says anybody who comes and asks you. Right? Anybody that comes and asks you, I was uh, listening to something the other day, and they said, we have the moral decay of our country, and, and we just can't put our finger on what the moral decay, why, why the moral decay of our country? I mean, you've got to be like retarded to not know, and I mean that with the most, uh, you know, no disrespect to the mentally challenged people that I uh, probably respect more, <laughs> right? Uh, listen. Uh, I, I mean that. I mean that sin and sincerely. You mean if someone came up to you and said, "I wonder what the moral decay, the purpose of the moral decay in our country is," or, uh, or, or suppose how come uh, how come people, you know, what's what's a, a problem with folks here today? Do you think you could give them some help? You think you could lead them to somebody that uh, that could that, that could uh, help them out more than um, whoever they're listening to on their on their playlist? I should hope so. And you know what? Sometimes, you know what you'll find out? You'll get opportunities to speak up for the Lord Jesus Christ and you don't feel like it. You don't feel particularly spiritual. There's been my, it's been my experience a lot of times the Lord uses that sometimes to jar your head into getting right with Him. There's been times in my life I'm just as backslidden as a dog and all of a sudden God puts somebody in my path and starts asking me questions and starts putting me on the spot and all of a sudden I'm put in a position where I'm forced to start speaking for Him Right? And, all this, and then it's like, okay, Lord, I got it. I got to get my heart right. <laughs> the Lord does that kind of stuff, you know? And so sometimes it's not a matter of whether you feel like it or not. What is it? I'm, you got to be instant in season and out of season. Why? Because you're going to reap in due season. You like how that thing plays out? Uh, <clears throat> every, listen, it's, uh, he says here that uh, in verse 10, as we, therefore, as we have therefore opportunity... Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now, in this topic of well-doing and, and reaping um, and, and that kind of thing, he says in a few verses before that, he says, If you uh, sow to the Spirit, you shall love the Spirit, reap life everlasting. Uh, we went over that, and that's obviously not connected to your salvation. Uh, that's connected to laying hold on eternal life, as, as said over there in Timothy um, it's connected to rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. It has nothing to do with where your soul goes when you die and your salvation. But uh, it's important to note here in this passage that every man will sow corruption if he sows to his flesh. That's 100% true. Every man across the board, man, woman, whatever, 
you will sow, uh, if you sow to the flesh, you will sow corruption. There's no doubt about that. But it's important to know that, not, that every man will not reap everlasting life by doing good. That's another notation you should make about this. Is that uh, uh, every man will not reap everlasting life by doing good. We have a, we have a problem with uh, what we would call um, the, the doctrine of do-gooders. You know a lot of people, you know a lot of people that aren't saved, right? That do good things. If they do good things, it doesn't make them any more saved, <laughs> right? And so you have that's that's the doctrine that the that the world lives by. That's that's the basis of every heresy and false doctrine on the face of the planet. You have to either do something to get saved or do something to stay saved. That's the basis of every false doctrine. I don't care whatever religion it is, that is the basis of it in a nutshell. And that's, uh, this, is a, this is a passage in which they use to teach that. Now, of course, that's not what it's teaching. The context is very, very clear. But <coughs> it doesn't, and, I, and, and I, I believe I said this to the teens on, on Sunday morning, but I, I know that as we've gone through the book of Galatians, this has been a scathing book written by Paul towards people that are trying to now incorporate the, the Levitical law mixed in with this grace, and they're putting people back into bondage. And so Paul is holding back, <clears throat> and he's pulling no punches, um, showing you the difference between doing good works for salvation and trusting Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. But I, I want to make sure that I, I balance this, this thought with... That doesn't downplay the fact that you should still do good things. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, the Bible tells us that he he uh, that he um, has a he, he is uh, called unto himself a peculiar people, and he says that we should be zealous of good works. That's something that we should desire. Now that's why he that's why he tells us that <clears throat> we will be judged uh, on our on the things that we do in our bodies, whether they be good or whether they be evil, over in 1 Corinthians. He tells us that. And uh, we'll be judged of what sort it is, and it will be judged by fire. If it survives the fire, if it, uh, you shall receive a reward. But if it's burnt up, the Bible says, and you shall suffer loss, but your soul is still saved. And so this, this law of sowing and reaping, when it comes to a Christian, it's not to be taken lightly, and it's not to be... It's not to be uh, uh, downplayed the fact that, yes, you do not have to do works for salvation. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Right? It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Okay? These are verses that you should know. And it is very clearly that you don't have to work for your salvation. But after you're saved... You should be, as the Bible says, zealous of good works. You should have a desire to do some things good, right? He says here that uh, you should, says, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You have, listen, he tells you this, you want to do good? He says, as we therefore have opportunity. And there's the key word right there. Because you're not always going to have an opportunity. Sometimes we miss opportunities. 
Sometimes we fail to see opportunities. Let's be honest, sometimes we're not looking for opportunities. You know what, one of the most tragic things uh, that you can see is somebody wasting the opportunity of their youth. It's devastating. You see somebody get older and all of a sudden they look back at their life and, and the time in which they had, they could have done something. Uh, they, that time is gone now. They don't have the same abilities that they used to have. And then they look back at their life and they say, what a waste. What a horrible place to be at. I've watched, I've watched people do that. I've watched Christians do that. I've been saved for 30 years. I've been saved for 50 years. And look back at their life and they say, I didn't do anything. You know, I think one of the, the, one of the main things that, you know, keeps us going with the youth ministry and that kind of stuff is, is, you know, it's really important that they get this stuff when they're young. It's important that, it's important that the young people realize that uh, the glory of a young man's is strength and the beauty of the old man's is gray hairs. And it's, it's good to make sure <clears throat> you bear the yoke in your youth, the Bible says. While you have opportunity, while you have strength, while you have the ability, while you have the time, not to waste it. The Bible tells us to redeem the time, for the days are evil. You know, we sometimes take for granted the opportunities that are right in front of our face. You're not guaranteed that this church is here all the time. You saw that during COVID. Churches closing left and right. Government comes in and says, sorry, no more church. Listen, uh, this thing could be gone very quickly. You know what you should do? As we therefore have opportunity. You get as much as you can. You got, you got uh, people you work with, people that you run into all the time. <clears throat> You know what you better do? You realize, as we therefore have opportunity, don't waste it. You say, I don't, I, don't, I don't have any opportunities. Well, let me ask this. When was the last time you prayed for some? Lord, give me an opportunity to speak for you today. Lord, give me an opportunity to pass a gospel track out. Lord, show me somebody to witness to. God, give me an opportunity. Show me a need that somebody has that I can, that I can step in and meet. God, uh, is, there, is, is there a brother or sister that's hurting? Because what does he say here? He says, do good unto all men. But then he says this, especially unto uh, them who are of the household of faith. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. We should, be, we should be looking out for one another. And you know what we should be doing? We should be doing good for one another. And you know what Paul's sharp, sharp rebuke to the Corinthian church? And he says, you're carnal. There's, there's bitter envyings, there's strife, there's, there's schisms in the body. There, you, you guys are always at each other's throats. You're, you're, you're putting people down. There's all kinds of problems in the church. He says, and it ought not so to be. And you want to know something? That's, that's a church I don't want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church where brothers and sisters look out for one another. And somebody's having a hard time and says, hey man, I... I can tell that you're having a rough time. Why? Because I pay attention. <laughs> right? Because I'm, I'm not just here to let people see me come. You know? Walk in the door and it's like, hey guys, I'm here. <laughs> no. You're looking, at, you're looking out for other people and you're saying, 
Is there, is there, and you're listening. You have an ear, you know? And it's like, you ever, you ever gone somewhere? Uh, I, I, I tend to do this. I try to do this. And, um, you know, there's a time we went down to a meeting and uh, I was saying, Lord, is there, I just want to be a blessing to somebody. I don't know what it is. I don't know what he needs. I don't, I've never been here. You know, I, I don't know half the people that are here. And I remember there was a brother uh, came down and, and he drove a long way. And <clears throat> I just overheard in the conversation that, you know, his tire blew out or something like that and, uh, and everything. And so I, I you know, I, I heard him talking about it and I, and I pulled one of the brothers aside. I gave him a call. I knew one of the guys that was there. And uh, I said, hey, listen, here's my card number. I want you to pay uh, to get two new tires on the back of this guy's vehicle and don't tell him who did it. Right? Because I was sitting there praying before I went down there and all of a sudden the Lord brought a need out and I said, well, I can do that. Just be a blessing. Had no idea it was me. To this day, the guy doesn't even know it was, for, it was me. Matter of fact, that guy has talked to me and told me who he thought it was. And I'm like, yeah, it probably was him. <laughs> <laughs> right? But it's just, we ought to be doing good for one another. A word fitly spoken in due season, how good is it? You know? Just an encouragement. Brother, it's good to see you. Sis, it's good to see you. You know? Uh, just little things like that as we have opportunity. You know, it's funny, we tend to wait to say nice things about people until they're dead. Don't wait until somebody's funeral to let them know how you feel about them. Don't listen. Don't wait until somebody's gone to tell them that you appreciate what they did. We're bad about that. Well, I don't want them to get the big head. As if that seems to be the problem. Right? You want to know what I've... It's been my experience that if someone comes up and says something nice to me, it, 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 uh, I don't know, maybe some people act differently, but uh, when somebody comes up and thanks me or says something to me, uh, it makes me feel about that big. It doesn't puff my head up at all. It makes me feel like a weirdo. Like I don't even know how to handle it. Like I don't like it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, that happens every year at youth camp. We do the thank yous and stuff like that, and it, I, I absolutely despise it. I absolutely it's my It's the worst part of camp for me. I get up there and, and we're doing our thank yous and everybody's clapping, ha, ah, you know, and then we get to tell, you know, say, thank you for Dr. Peacock. And I like to do it to him, you know. <laughs> and all the kids are, are shouting and standing and, 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 and clapping and, and, you know, being thankful and everything else. And then, and then I just try to close it down. And of course, it's just this awkward, oh, well, thank Brother Joe, you know. And then I just, I just want to hide behind the pulpit. I absolutely hate it. It's literally the worst part of camp for me. <laughs> Right? But you want to something? I look back at that and I actually, I really do appreciate it. I really do. I don't like it at the time, but it's, it's good to know that people appreciate what you do. Right? No matter how it makes you feel. And if somebody gets the big head about it, let God deal with them about having the big head. You make sure you do your part. Right? As we have opportunity. As we have opportunity. Uh, there's no doubt in Scripture what the household of faith is in reference to. Take your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, I'll run a couple verses on this. Look in verse number 19 of Ephesians chapter 2. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God 
One of the basic Bible doctrines, and I know pastors gone over some of these uh, Bible words, Bible terms like salvation and propitiation and redemption. And one of those basic Bible words is adoption, the doctrine of adoption. And the fact that uh, when you got saved, God adopted you into His family. And now you have all the rights uh, that, a, that a, uh, a biological son would have. And uh, that's a part of what you got when you got saved. And so now, he says, you're no more strangers, you're no more foreigners, you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Uh, the household of God. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. These are the people you should be looking out for. First Timothy chapter 3, look in verse number 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, look at this, in the house of God. Now, for the longest time, and I understand, uh, people call the church the house of God. And of course, they're in reference to the building and that kind of thing. And from a doctrinal standpoint, that's just, it's just not the case, right? The church building is not the quote-unquote house of God. Uh, I don't get my nose bent out of shape when someone says, it's good to be in the house of God. Like, I don't, it doesn't like ruin my day, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I get what they're saying, and I will say amen, and I'll say, yes, it is. It's good to be here, right? But from a scriptural doctrinal standpoint, he tells you right here what the house of God is, which is the church of the living God. Is he talking about the local church right there? No, he's not. He's talking about the church, a.k.a. the body of Jesus Christ, which is made up of believers, that's the mystery that is revealed in Ephesians chapter 5. He likens it unto a husband and a wife. I was telling somebody out the other day, the illustration in Ephesians chapter 5, it's, uh, it's one of the seven mysteries. And he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. And uh, one of those things <coughs> is the body of Jesus Christ. And he uses the illustration of uh, a husband and wife uh, to illustrate that truth. But the, the church or the body of Jesus Christ, or the house of God, is, the, uh, is uh, made up of believers. He says, the pillar and ground of the truth. You say, where does that reference back to? Well, that's a type back in the, in the Old Testament. Who was committed to the oracles of God? The Jews were. More specifically, the Levitical priesthood, their job was to take care of the Word of God. And guess what you are after you get saved? You're priests. And what are, what are we? What are we, to, we are the pillars and ground of the truth. What are we? The church. What are we? The house of God. What should we do one to another? We should look out for the house of God. Why? Because we're the ones holding the truth up. We're the ones, we're, the, we're that light that's supposed to be on a hill and letting our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. The, 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 um, the propagation of the Word of God is on you and I. And so that's, uh, there's no doubt of what the household of faith is in reference to there back in uh, verse number 10. Let's hit verse 11 back in Galatians chapter 6. <coughs> 
we won't get too far in the gillyweeds here in, in verse 11, but he says, See how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Now this is uh, from a scholarship standpoint, somewhat of a uh, trigger verse. Uh, some, some scholars, uh, they, what they do is it's, it's undeniable that Paul has a problem with his eyes. Uh, we saw that back in Galatians chapter 4. If you don't remember, turn back there, Galatians chapter 4, um, and look at uh, verse number 13. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse number 13. You know how through, infir- how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, uh, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Verse 15 tells you what that infirmity was. Verse 15, Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record uh, that ye would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. Signifying that Paul... He was going blind. He had an issue with his eyes. And when you look at it from a scriptural standpoint, it kind of makes a little bit of sense. I mean, he was like stricken blind, you know, by a, a bright light back there in Acts chapter 9 when he was on the road to Damascus, right? So, I mean, maybe, maybe just maybe, uh, you know, he had some eye trouble, uh, macular degeneration or something like that. <laughs> and uh, it's not past the realm of possibility. But in scholars' um, reconciling of this verse... They tend to say, see how large a letter I've written unto you. And so they say, well, it can't be the length of the letter, because obviously Galatians is only six chapters, and it's by no means the lengthier of Paul's writings. Right? So that doesn't make sense. And so the way they justify it is, is it has to be the size of the letters in which he was writing in. That's how they justify it. Which, again, I, I, I can't, I mean... There's nothing, this is, not a, this is not a hotly contested scriptural item because there's no scripture to back up any justification of it. But the problem is, is that some people put an S on the end of the word letter in verse 11 so that they can teach that it says, See how large a letters I have written unto you in mine own hand. Now, this is the fundamental problem with people who think they're smarter than God. Is that what they do is they believe a thing and then they try to make the Bible fit with what they believe. This is the primary difference from Bible believers and Bible critics. Okay? Now, I say this and, I, and, I, and I, I'm not, not trying to be you know, uh, nasty when I say it, but you, you have a bunch of people that say, we believe the Bible. <clears throat> and they'll even say, we believe the King James Bible. But the problem is, they don't really believe the King James Bible. They use the King James Bible, and uh, they're what we call Texas Receptus, TR guys. And what they do is they go back to the Greek when they don't, when they don't like uh, what they see in the, in the English. They believe that the Greek is superior to the English. If you have that standpoint, you're no better than the ones that look, go, back to, uh, go back to Nestle's Greek text or whatever Greek text you want to go back to and put an S on the end of that word. There's no, you have no, there's no difference between you, those two. 
Because your final authority isn't the English, your final authority is the Greek. What's the problem? You don't have a Greek manuscript that's perfect. Nestle's Greek text, it shows you a list of papyrus fragments and different things. You know, it's not even a full manuscript. Sometimes those papyrus fragments that they, relate, that, they, uh, that they talk about are pieces of papyrus that's that big around. they got three or four words on them. And they'll cite that as their authority for the translation that they put in the book. How about that one? You say, what is that? It's dishonest. It's dishonest. Again... What, what, what's, a, what's an easier way to reconcile the verse without adding to the verse? Changing the text to fit your justification or your teaching of why he said what he said. Well, you ever, try, uh, you ever uh, think about trying to write something and you're half blind? Maybe it's, you know... Maybe it's the fact that he didn't want to have a he didn't want to have he didn't have the time to transcribe bring in somebody to transcribe for him, and this was an earnest letter because he got word of what was being done over in Galatia, and he says, "You see how long a letter I've written or a larger letter I've written unto you." He's maybe talking about the fact that it was strenuous for him to 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 write what he was writing because he's half blind when he's trying to write it. But either way you look at it. I'm not here to say one, one justification for the verse is right or wrong. It could possibly be the size of the letters. The Bible doesn't say. So the worst thing you can do is try to make the Bible say something when it's not clear on what it's saying. Either one of those things could be true. The fact of the matter is, neither one of those things, whether they're true or not, justifies you changing the book. You see? Because Paul says this in multiple different places when he talks about how large of a letter uh, he's written. Um, I'm trying to see. I got a cross-reference. Um, I think it's 1 Corinthians 16. He says it in a salutation in 1 Corinthians 16. And he says it again in 1 Thessalonians too, I think. Let's see here. Yeah, look in verse 21, 1 Corinthians 16, 21. The salutation of me, Paul, look at what he says, with mine own hand. Right? With mine own hand. Um, I know he says it in 1 Thessalonians, I just don't think I have the reference written down. Um, I'll turn there, I probably can find it. I think it's in chapter 1. I think he does it in the beginning of the book. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, verse 17, uh, excuse me, it's 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look in verse 17. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. Okay, so Paul, he, he, uh, he's, he, he tends to write his own salutations. And uh, again, there's just, any, it seems like anytime somebody thinks they're smarter than God, they find something and they just figure a way to mess it up.
But <coughs> that's, uh, that's verse 11. Let's go to verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they uh, constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now, we've, we've actually gone over this back in Galatians chapter 1 and back in Galatians chapter 4. Paul has referenced the fact that these Judaizers that have come down and are now preaching that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. He's saying these guys are preaching this uh, to make an open show of you in the flesh, so they constrain you to be circumcised for the sole fact, lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They're trying to please uh, the highly educated crowd, and they don't want to be considered uh, these dumb fuddy-duddies because it's against human nature to think that you can get anything for free, especially when it comes to eternal life. You ever wonder why people think you're so whacked out? You don't have to do anything to get saved. The vast majority of religion tells you you've got to do something to get saved. Why? Because man just can't get it through his head that he can't earn it. It doesn't, it, doesn't pro, it, doesn't, it doesn't register in their brains that you can't do anything to get saved. They say something as good as heaven, surely I have to do something for it. Surely it's, no, it's given, it's a free gift. That's the way he's got it set up. And so he says, these guys are telling you this, uh, lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Uh, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. And that's exactly right. This is the, this is, uh, let me just share this with you. Outward change can cause people to glory in the flesh. Outward change can cause people to glory in the flesh, but the inward change can only cause glory in the Spirit. There it is. And so, you get these guys that say, you got to do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. And why is that? It makes them look good. Look at all these, look at all these folks. These are, these are mine. These are under me. I'm their leader. Look at, they're all circumcised, they're all clean cut, they're all doing this, they don't, go the, they don't go here, they don't go there, they don't chew, they don't dip, they don't cuss, they don't, uh, they don't do anything that I wouldn't do. Look at, this is my congregation. You say, what is it? To make an open show of you in the flesh. So that they can glory in your flesh. Those are cult leaders. It's not the way it should be at all. Go to 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. Look in verse 31. Start in verse 30. But of him... Are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption? That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You see that? Not glory in your flesh. We preached about that last night. Paul said three times in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the portion of Scripture we read last night about... Um, uh, him not glorying, he says, he says, I glory in the flesh, I speak as a fool. 
He says, if I just one thing I glory, I'll glory in my infirmities. Why would he glory in his infirmities? Because in his infirmities, he realized that when he was weak, then God made him strong. It was, a, it was glorying in the Lord via his infirmities. Had nothing to do with him. It wasn't, look at me, I'm so spiritual and I'm going to glory in what I've been able to accomplish. If anybody had room to glory, Paul had room to glory. If anybody had room to glory in his accomplishments, Paul could glory in his accomplishments. If anybody had room to glory in his converts, Paul could glory in his converts. But he never did that. He would rather God and the Spirit of God work in those people on a personal level, and then God gets the glory for making the change in their life, not Paul. You see, there's a difference. Verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Okay, he says something very, very profound here. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's four aspects to the cross of Jesus Christ here in this verse that you need to get. There's the historical importance of it. That's just simply the fact that Christ Himself was crucified, right, in the past. Number two, that the believer is crucified with Jesus Christ. That's Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Okay, that's Galatians 2.20. Okay, so it's that Christ Himself was crucified in the past, and the believer is crucified with Christ in the present. Number three... Not only is it that Christ was crucified and that you were crucified with Christ, but now that the world is crucified to the believer. That's what he says here. He says, he says uh, by whom the world is crucified unto me. Okay? You say, what do you mean by that? Go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. The world is crucified unto the believer. What does that mean? John chapter 17. Verse 9. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. He says, I'm not praying for the world. Jesus Christ says, I'm not, I, I'm, not, I'm not praying for the world. I'm not praying that, uh, that, that the world gets better. I'm not praying for world peace. I'm not praying for any of that stuff. Why? Because the world is dead. Where were you, where were you before you were saved? The Bible says you were dead in trespasses and sins. The world was crucified unto you. That's as far as uh, the world's relationship with you. And that is what? If the world had its way with you, you'd still be dead. Had nothing, doesn't want nothing to do with you. You have to understand that this world is dead. Jesus Christ isn't praying for it. And it lies underneath the wrath of God. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3.
We'll start in verse 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. We'll read down to verse 7. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lusts, were there, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? We're there. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this, uh, for this they willingly are ignorant uh, of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Okay? Look at this. Verse uh, 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store. What are they reserved for? They're reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You say, what's that? The world you live in? Christ was crucified. You were crucified with Christ the day you got saved. And the day you got saved, this world was crucified to you. But not only that, the believer is crucified to the world. There's a great book that every Christian, I think, should read. <clears throat> uh, yes, yeah, the Bible. I say that. I say every Christian should read it. I think that if you have the opportunity to read the book, it's a really, really great book. Um, I forget the first name. I believe it's Maxwell. But it's called Born Crucified. It's a, it's a, it's a great book. Um, it, it, it's a great um, practical book for you. Um, but it, it goes in a little more detail of some of the things we're talking about here. But he says that the world is crucified unto me. And then he says, and I unto the world. What does it mean for me to be crucified to the world? Well, uh, take your Bibles and go to John chapter 15. The Christian's relationship with the world has to be in the right perspective. It's a dance that you have to dance and you better learn how to dance with it. Because you have to be in the world, but you don't have to be of the world. You have to remember your position is that the world is crucified to you and you're crucified to the world. Verse, uh, let's see here, uh, 15 verse 18. 15 verse 18. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world... The world would love his own. Do you see that? If you were of the world, the world would love you. So if the world loves you, what does that say about you? That which is highly esteemed among men is what in the sight of God? Anybody know? It's an abomination. Okay? If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world... But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You say, what is that? You're crucified to this world. You're crucified to this world. Pick it up again in John chapter 16. Look in verse 1. John 16, 1. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, and the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. 
And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. You say, what is that? That's what the world thinks about you. They, 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 they slander you, they make fun of you, and they kill you, and they say, we're doing God's service. We're, 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 we're helping God out <laughs> by getting rid of these stinking scoundrels. Uh, let me see here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You have to understand how you look to this world. And sometimes they can deceive you. But the fact of the matter is, is that they may, they may uh, make you try, to, try to make you feel at home, but the minute you want to try to live a Christian life, they will kick you out just as fast and make your head spin. They want nothing to do with you. They want nothing to do with your God. Now, how do you know that? Well, have you ever tried to witness to somebody and they just absolutely don't want anything to do with you and they kick you out and they don't want to be your friend anymore? It tells you what the world thinks about you. This is how you should be to the world. Look in verse number uh, 15. Verse 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. For we are unto God, Christians, we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them, uh, and in them that perish. Verse 16. To the one, to the one, we are the savor of death unto death. Anybody in here ever smelled a dead corpse? Anybody in here smell, smell uh, a dead animal, animal stuck in a wall? And you're like, what is that? What is he saying? Well, to the Lord, you're a sweet-smelling savor. Why? You're His. How, how should, if you're living right and you're doing right, what, is the world, uh, what does the world think of you? What is that? You're the savor of death unto death to this world. But he says, and to, the, uh, and, uh, and to the other, the savor of life unto life, or excuse me, unto life, and who is uh, sufficient for these things. He says, you know what, that's exactly what, uh, you, you're, you're, lay, uh, you're uh, emitting an odor, and whoever, th uh, whatever makes, uh, uh, whatever uh, somebody smells when you're around tells you of, uh, of what they think about you. You're sitting in the world and the world's, oh, man, you're just irritating to be around. You ever been around somebody with B.O.? And you're just like, go away. <laughs> go away. Why? You stink. We tolerate you. We're trying to be nice. We don't like you. We like when you leave because you stink, right? You don't bathe. Okay, that's the way the world treats you. They just keep you at arm's distance. We don't want nothing to do. You just do your thing and leave us alone. <laughs> and that's why he says, if any man be a friend of this world, he's the enemy of God. He says, don't you know that, eminent, uh, that um, uh, fellowship with this world or, uh, is, the en is the enmity with God? Therefore, if any man be a friend of this world, he's the enemy of God. That's the way the world is. Here, uh, Christ was crucified. The believer was crucified with Christ. And the, uh, uh, the world is crucified to you and you're crucified to the world. 
For in Christ Jesus neither uh, circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but the new creature. That cross-reference there is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Right? We're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Your physical circumcision uh, means nothing. It's a spiritual circumcision that you require. That's John chapter 3. And Nicodemus is uh, befuddled with the, the statement that Jesus Christ tells him, you must be born again. And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's not a physical birth. It's not a physical circumcision. It is a spiritual birth, and it's a spiritual circumcision. And that cross-reference is, is Colossians chapter 2. That's where you're going to find the doctrine of spiritual circumcision. <clears throat> okay, and I'm trying to get through. I'm trying to get through. I've only got a couple of verses left. Um, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy upon the Israel of God. Now, uh, I won't go into the debate on what that term means um, amongst scholars. I guess that's probably just too high for me. I'm not that smart to get into all that stuff. Um, but just run a couple verses and then we'll, we'll end the last two verses here with the salutation. Uh, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, uh, verse 28 and 29. The Israel of God. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. That's what we just talked about in the verse before. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Again, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, what are you trying to say? Uh, what is this, this term, Israel of God? To the best what I can see scripturally, uh, you see that there is, there is Jews... Uh, that are here, that are not preaching circumcision. There are Jews that are preaching the gospel according to what Paul preached. And uh, those, are, those, are spiritual, those are spiritual Jews, or uh, uh, the Israel of God being, those are Jews that are preaching the truth. Um, uh, and they're in the church. They're a part of the body of Christ. Okay? And say, well, where do you get further, you know... Uh, Reference for that. Go to First Peter chapter one. Everybody agree that Peter uh, was a Jew. Anybody ever heard that Peter and Paul preached two different gospels? That's not right, but that's what they say. First Peter chapter one verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout. Look at this. Pontius and where? Where, where are we reading? Where, where are we teaching out of? Oh, so Peter, a Jew, is, is, uh, is, is teaching in the region of Galatia? So you mean that there's Jews that are up there? Yeah, there's Judaizers that are teaching circumcision, but you mean that there's actually a, there's a, a, section, uh, there's a sect of Jews that are actually preaching the truth? Yes, they are. Okay, go to uh, chapter 2, verse 10. He echoes this same doctrine we just read in Romans, Peter does, um, chapter 2, verse 10, uh, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Okay, 
he's, he's talking there was the people that were not before. And there's this thing about uh, uh, you being, and you can get it. Uh, there's another cross-reference I'll give you here in just a second. But go back to chapter uh, 1, look in verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So there's a group of Jews, probably led by Peter, because again, he told you who he's writing to in chapter number 1. He's, he's preaching to folks in the region of Galatia. And uh, if you go back to Acts chapter 15 at the council at Jerusalem, he tells you exactly what gospel he's preaching. And that's the gospel of the grace of God. And that's in Acts chapter 15 when Peter stands up and makes the statement after Paul gives his defense of his, of his revelation. And he says, we shall be saved even as they. And so the Israel of God here, it looks like scripturally that these are just simply Jews um, uh, that are, uh, these are saved Jews that are preaching the truth. They're a part of the body of Christ and, uh, and, and they're, being, they're, given a, they're given a title here um, in, in, in verse number 16. Okay, um, another, another reference for that, let me see, and it's, a, it's actually a really good one. It's Romans, Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 12, and Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Uh, those are some good references talking about... Um, uh, Israel and, and being saved and being in Christ and being spiritually uh, part of Israel and all that kind of stuff. All right, last two verses and we'll stop. Okay, from henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, uh, be with your spirit. Amen. Verse 17, there's no doubt Paul gives a... Uh, Paul gives an illustration in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he goes down through all the things that he had been persecuted and stripes that were given to him, and he was given 39, 40 stripes, save one, and all that kind of stuff. And there's no doubt Paul is making his final plea at the end of his letter, and he's saying these folks are teaching what they're teaching, and you got to be, do you have to do this to get saved? But they're doing it. He said it three times in the book. He said it three times that they told you, and they're teaching you that so that they don't suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. And I can just see Paul, as he's sitting there, he says I, he, could take his, he could take his jacket off and show you his back and show you all the stuff that he's been through. And he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And so the next time somebody wants to come in here with smooth skin and, and smooth knees and no bruises and no, nobody thinking anything of them and they want to teach you that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, just remember, I'm the one getting it in the neck here and I'm the one that's putting my head on the chopping block and I'm willing to, I'm willing to put my neck out for what I believe and these guys are just trying to make an open show of you in the flesh. He makes a physical plight to himself. And he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And if you reference that back to Isaiah chapter 53, and he says, and he's laid on him the, the iniquity of us all, and with his stripes we're healed, Paul knows exactly what that's like. And Paul bore that for the sake of the truth. And so that is the book of Galatians. And I try to, like I said, we got skidded underneath here. I, I only had two verses left, brother. So... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that is the book of Galatians, um, and I get it under my time here. Uh, any questions, real quick, before Pastor comes and you guys take a break? Yes, sir. And Israel of God couldn't be referring to the Israel 
a time where God redeemed him and restored Israel? Uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be uh, in context. Uh, you'd have to stretch because in context it's clear what he's, what he's talking about. It wouldn't be something out in the tribulation. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I don't believe so. Unless if you showed me some, some other person I haven't read after that has some references for that. Sure. Yeah. So what it, what, it looks like, what it looks like in context of what is in Galatians, when you run those references, you see that there are Jews that are saved. They're in the body of Christ. And they're preaching not the law. And it looks like that's a reference to the, when he says the Israel of God, it seems like it's a reference to them. Um, again, I've read a, after a couple people that have talked about that particular verse. And it's one of those things where you don't have a mound of verses, a mound of evidence to make a definitive statement. But just based on what I, those verses I showed you, that's the conclusion that I come up with uh, on that one. And I'm backed up by several. You know, Dr. Rutman says the same thing. Everybody else says the same thing. So, yes. Sorry, Pastor. Oh, sorry, Pastor. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you're just cutting into our class. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for verse 14, you said there were five points or four points to that? Four points. Okay, so historical, the believer is crucified, the world is crucified. What was the first one? So the, the, the you have the historical reference, right? That's Jesus Christ, actually physically crucified. Uh, that's in the past. And then you have the fact that you're crucified with Christ. That cross-references Galatians 2.20. Got it? <laughs> All right. Anything else? Yes, sir. Uh, Romans 9, um, let me check the verse real quick. What was it, 6 to 8? Yeah, Romans 9, 6 to 8. Okay? And that, and that'll, what that, Romans, I can't remember if it's Romans, uh, uh, I think it's Romans 9. He brings, he brings that spiritual, uh, that Israel thing, he, and, he, and he uses the word Israel, and he, and he says, not everyone that's of Israel was underneath the law because he's saying he, he takes it back to Abraham. And if you remember earlier in Galatians, it has a lot to say about us and the, and the allegory uh, and, and everything else with Abraham uh, as connected to that because he was also under grace, you know. So there's, there's a picture and there's a type of that that references back to your type of salvation. Uh, so that's why it's, it's, it's good to see that because they use that to say that God's done with Israel. But the fact of the matter is, is he's not done with Israel. Um, but they use those verses and they twist them. So when you, when you read those, you'll see uh, how that's it's, it's talking about a spiritual thing. It's not a physical God's done with the Jew. That's not the case at all. All right? Cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all right. Um, I don't know. I haven't talked to Pastor about it yet. I know if you just want me to keep going through yeah. Ephesians or whatever. Well, find, find whatever that, that. Yeah. So we may just we may just keep going through. We'll go start in Ephesians next time and just keep going through that way.